everyone, welcome to episode 69, Fish Across the Pond, the Marlins UK podcast. I'm your host, Peter Pratt, and joining me for today and our second postseason preview podcast, delighted to welcome back in the hot seat, Glenn Geffner. Geff, how are we? I'm doing great. We did this, uh, what, about a month ago, and we said, hey, when the Marlins make the playoffs, you got to do it again, so here we are. Exactly. To your word. To your words, you said, you know, like you said, we agreed we'd do it. Um, they've done it. So here we are. Here we are again. Um, uh, firstly, firstly, Glenn, how how's it been for you this year? Uh, you know, just before we hit the button, I think we were talking to, it's, it's felt like a, a long season, although a short season, just with so many games, just thick and fast. How, how's it been for you this year behind the mic? If somebody made the observation, this has been the longest short season of all time. And I would agree with that for a lot of different reasons. Uh, with all the uncertainty surrounding the day-to-day nature of everything, certainly going back to that eight days in quarantine, when at one point you didn't even really know for sure this team was going to continue its season. Uh, but, but the day-to-day nature, the, the fact that we played so many games in such a short, short span of time, especially over the last four weeks or so, 28 games over the final 24 days, all the double headers, uh, in our case – going into the ballpark every single day, even if the team is on the road making the drive, which for me is quite a long commute. Uh, it's been a grind, but it's been fun. You know, it would be a lot tougher if the team was 15 and 45 than it is with the team being 31 and 29 and making the playoffs and playing exciting games and really playing fun baseball more than anything. So that, that's made it a joy, but it has been a long season. The players say the same thing also, that, that physically they feel fresh, but mentally – they feel like it's the end of September and they played 162 games, not just 60. Yeah. And I can tell you from a, from a fan's perspective here in the UK, it's also been very, very mentally draining and emotional. So, yeah, I think we're all feeling it. It's just been a wave of emotions, but a lot of fun to watch. Like, what a team this is and what a team it's been to watch. And, you know, we continue to watch them in the postseason. So that's, that's going to be a lot of fun. We'll get to that in a sec. Before we dive into postseason – uh, from the regular season, well, actually, sorry, one other thing. Marlins Radio continues into the postseason, right? So you're, you're not done either, right? That's exactly right. No, we do every game in the postseason. Uh, Dave and I will be there every step of the way. TV is done. Local TV is done. It's all national now moving forward. But we will be there every single game. The one local voice for people who want to sync up the radio with the TV feed if they're watching on TV. We appreciate that. Uh, you know, it, it's for me – Good to hear the people who've been around the team every day all season long. We know all the ins and outs. Not the people just helicoptering in on a national level to do a few games. We're trying to cram on the team as quickly as they can. So I certainly would cast a vote for listening to the games on the radio if possible. And uh, we'll be there through the MLB app, through MLB.com, through SiriusXM Satellite Radio. Uh, certainly on our end locally, you can hear us on 940 wins and 1230 to zone uh, across the state on the radio network. So uh, we'll be there every step of the way. You can count on that. Good man. Well, from a man who's definitely watched literally every pitch this year of, of, of the Marlins season, how, how would you describe this Marlins regular season and this team? It's crazy. I think crazy <laughs> is a good word. You know, it's, uh, you go back to the beginning, and obviously the expectations externally were very low for this team. Uh, so the fact that they've done what they've done under any circumstances is fun and exciting and for most people unexpected, but to do it with all the obstacles that were thrown at them. For me, it was such a character check from day one, such a mental toughness check from day one. And these guys have 
stood up to everything that's been thrown their way. Every time you've been ready to count them out, and there have been a lot of times when you were ready to count them out. Maybe not you specifically, Peter, but in general, people were ready to count this team out a lot of times. They always found a way to punch back and have a response and get up off the mat just when you thought they were done. And uh, to me, that's a testament to Don Mattingly and the staff and the culture they've created, the tone they've set, and to these guys, and to the mental toughness, and to the focus that they've had, the way they've locked in uh, with all the protocols they've had to endure, with all the challenges uh, on and off the field, for them to overcome what they have, losing 19 players in the blink of an eye, three games into the season, to come back from that, uh, to get punched several times by the Braves, by different teams at different times, by Tampa Bay, but to always be able to come back, it just speaks to what these guys are made of, and it's a very special thing to have watched unfold over the course of these last couple of months. Uh, absolutely. And, and Don Manningly, how good a job has Donnie done this year? He's been unbelievable. And Peter, you're you're in the Zoom where it happens. You're, you're watching the Zooms every day and hearing Donnie talk about just worrying about tonight and whether yesterday was great or was terrible. Forget about yesterday. It's in the past. And don't worry about tomorrow. And no, I'm not thinking about the playoffs yet. We still have three more regular season games to play. Just worry about tonight. And what do we do to win a ball game tonight? And from day one, he's managed with a great sense of urgency. Uh, he's always, as I've talked about on the radio a lot, he's taken a pitcher out one batter too soon rather than one batter too late. Uh, the way he's handled the bullpen, the way he's handled the rotation with five pitchers who are making their major league debuts this year in that rotation at one time or another. Uh, with so many young players, so many inexperienced players, and again, with so many obstacles being thrown at him, what he's done, the tone he's set, the way that's rubbed off on everybody has really been incredible. No, absolutely. And from a, I saw this yesterday from, from some of the tweets you had out there. You, you had a couple of polls going on. Um, I haven't seen the results, but I'd like to get from you um, your regular season MVP. I know you were asking what that was one of the polls you put up yep. there, but where do, where do you sit on this one? I've got to go with Miguel Rojas. And I know he missed 15 games, which is a quarter of the season. But with what he did on the field and off the field, the leadership that he brought on and off the field, the performance on the field, uh, for me, it starts and ends with Miggy. And you talk about, well, he missed a bunch of time. What happened when he came back? The very first at bat in that first game back against the Nationals, a three-run home run off Patrick Corbin that gives the Marlins a 3-2 win in that ball game. So for me, I think it's got to be Miggy. And I know other guys hit more home runs, drove in more runs. But when you look at the complete package – in this very strange year, he has been the face of this team on and off the field. His performance, his leadership, his being a second manager out there on the field night in and night out. So for me, it's an easy call, Miguel Rojas. Yeah, what a what a stud, what a season, what a leader. You know, there's just so many aspects to Miggy. Um, so completely with you on that one. Uh, I, I, I think as well, I recall them saying that he, he perhaps came back a little bit too soon but he felt like he needed to. And, right. you know, and that speaks to him yeah. and the, the kind of guy he is, team first. He, he knows he needs to be out there. He wants to be in the trenches with his family. He wants to be out there grinding and doing whatever he can to help this team win because he knows with each day that you cross off the schedule, you don't get that day back. So he did come back a little bit too soon. Uh, but he's been great, and, and this team would not be where it is without him, no question. Absolutely. And just one other, I think this may have been a poll that you put up, but maybe it was someone else. There's been a lot of polls flying around, but I want to get your take on play of the season. For me, there's two specific ones that I've got in mind. I want to get your take on this. The Aguilar 
slide catch, right. which was right. just insane. And yeah, also, Brian Anderson, that third base, uh, off the third base bag against the Phillies two weekends ago, those two to me really stood out. I, I may be forgetting others, but... Yeah, the Anderson one is the first one that comes to mind for me. That play he made at third base, yeah. to react the way he did when he's going to his right into foul territory and the ball hits off the foul side of the third base bag, so it kicks to his right. He has a split second to react and feel that ball, then to make the throw that he made at, from foul territory behind third base and to get the out. That, for me, was about as good an infield play as you'll ever see uh, on so many levels. The athleticism, uh, you know, some plays you dive and you hope the ball ends up in your glove yeah. and there's some element of luck involved. There was no luck involved in that play. That was all athleticism, reaction, skill. That was a remarkable play. The Aguilar play was big, too, and it came in a big spot also with a couple men on base. Uh, but the Anderson play, when you asked the question, was the first one that came to mind for me, no, no doubt. Yeah. I, I'm the same. I, I don't think I've ever seen a play like that before from Anderson, if, if I'm honest. And I, I've tweeted out about that since to say it, it truly, it was remarkable. Aguilar's was remarkable too, but for slightly different reasons that it was a big spot on a big man making that play. So, you know, it was equally great. Um, but that BA one was, was awesome. Um, what's, when you're in, you're in the booth or the virtual booth or however you want to describe it this year, you know, we've got two huge games. We've had the season was littered with huge games, really. But we have that final game in Atlanta, which for me was absolutely ginormous for the Marlins. And then the first game in, in New York going into extras. Like, I've asked the guys this, the stressometer. You know, are you, how are you feeling? Where are you on the stressometer when, when these games are really coming down to the wire? Do, do you kind of get... Anxious or you just, you just concentrate on what you're doing? No, I'm pretty locked in on what I'm doing. And because I've done it for so long and I've called so many games and a lot of big moments uh, during my time with the Red Sox before coming here, calling World Series games and huge Red Sox, Yankees games, things like that. Uh, I get pretty locked into what I'm doing. But there are times you slide a little bit extra toward the front of your seat. And, and there are times where a big play might elicit a reaction, you know, a, a big fist pump or something like that. And and the end of that Yankees game Friday night and finally knowing they had wrapped up the playoff spot because, you know, for a couple of days there, it was starting to get a little bit dicey. Even though the Marlins were in playoff position the whole way, and if the season ended today, they would be in. You knew the season wasn't ending today and they weren't winning as many games as they had been earlier. And you started to sweat and you started to look, well, if the Phillies win a couple here and, you know, what the Reds are doing right now, they're getting hot. And if we don't finish second, we might not end up seventh or eighth even. So it was getting a little bit dicey there. And then to have to go into Yankee Stadium and know that you're playing not just a really good Yankees team, but a team that also had something to play for because they were playing for playoff positioning as well. So it was not going to be an easy series. So to get that win out of the way that first night and to clinch the playoffs about that first night was huge. Uh, you know, taking the lead in the top of the 10th was fun and exciting. But then all of a sudden the bases are loaded and one out and you're pulling your hair out. Uh, and I'll tell you, the Dave had the call when – we had the game-ending double play that Miggy turned. Uh, so I wasn't doing the actual play-by-play. -play. I was sitting by his side doing the color commentary at that point. But I got up out of my seat. Uh, and I can't think of the last time I got up out of my seat to react to a final out of a game or a big moment in a game. Uh, that, that was big. And it was such a weight off our shoulders in many respects. Yeah. For those of us who have been with this organization for a long time, this is my 13th year. 
Uh, you know, Don Mattingly's been here five years, a long time. Miggy's been here a long time. So it means a lot to them. Uh, those of us who've been here for a while have been through a lot. And you, at a certain point, begin to wonder, we ever get to that point? We ever get back to the postseason? Uh, I came here at the start of the 2008 season. I just won the World Series at the Red Sox in 2007. And the Marlins were really good in 08 and 09. and came in second both years, won 85 games one year, won 87 games the next year, came really close to the playoffs both years. And you figure this team's well-positioned to get back there before too long, but it's been a long wait since then, even to have a better than 500 record. So, uh, yeah, it, it gets tense, but yeah. I, I try to control it. But that last out against the Yankees when they finally clinched was, was a big one for me. Awesome. I, 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 must, I watched it actually the day after. So I, with some of the later games, I've, I've been watching them in the morning um, without knowing the result. So watching them like they're live, but not able to look at Twitter, I guess. Is I the don't know how you thing. do that. I don't know how you can do that. I tell you, it's tough. Um, I've had to turn all notifications off my phone. My wife can't text me, anything. No, you know, I'm just there. Anyway, she came in, she heard the shouting and thought, what's going on? And I'm, I'm shouting in the living room, standing on the couch. And she's like, what's going on? I said, they're in, they're in. And I kind of just sat down on the couch and just started crying, I think. Like, I just started getting emotional just on the couch. It was just, just an incredible experience. And I think uh, Lewis said after, when I asked him about that, he said him and Brian Anderson had a, a similar experience after the game where they just sat and just had a few tears together. So yeah, guys you know, have been through a lot. Guys have been through a lot. And one of the cool things that I've noticed in recent days is a lot of people have had stories like yours. A lot of fans have told stories just like yours. Yeah. Uh, I've seen several tweets of people putting out video of themselves watching the final out or talking about what it means to them to finally get the Marlins back to the playoffs. So for with a team with a fan base that's been criticized a lot over the years and, and certainly doesn't turn out at the ballpark historically the way some other fan bases do, it's really nice to see people embracing this team. And it makes you wonder what attendance would have been like down the stretch this season. In a normal year, uh, what the energy would feel like in the ballpark for a playoff game. If the Marlins were playing some of these wild card games, potentially at Marlins Park, uh, and you were open to fans, uh, you know, you hope this is a huge turning point for this franchise, not just on the field, but off the field as well. And these fans who really embrace this group of guys will come out for opening day next year when knock on wood, we'll be able to bring fans back into the ballpark. And hopefully knock on wood, it'll be somewhat back to normal by this time we get to April in 2021. We don't know. We hope so. But yeah. you'd like to think this carries over and this helps the momentum going into next year and beyond for the franchise. Yeah, absolutely. I, I was thinking about some of them. I think Sixto may have had it, may have been one of his starts. And it was a weekend game, I think. And it was a big game, big series. It's the Phillies. It was that Phillies series. Phillies, yeah. That's exactly what it was. Yep. And I was just thinking, you know, would Marlins Park be packed right now? I, yeah. I believe it would have been, if I'm completely honest. I think perfect situation where you've got a, you know, a real close uh, playoff run against the team you're battling against and the new young stud on the mound who's been electric. I mean, I mean, it would have been an interesting acid test actually for the Marlins to kind of see where they were at, like gauge where things are, because for me, that was the most optimal opportunity for fans to go. Um, no that question. game, that moment, that picture, but no question. You know, like you said, wasn't to be so how have you seen just on engagement levels of the fans? Um, how have you seen it this year? Has it felt different? Has there been more engagement, more excitement around the Marlins from what you've seen on Twitter and other social media? No question. And we've yeah. seen it beginning to grow a little bit over the last couple of years. 
obviously in the beginning, the Marlins took a lot of hits when new ownership took over and they traded Stanton and Yelich and Ozuna and eventually Real Muto and D Gordon. Uh, but little by little, I've seen fans who are really paying attention begin to realize, you know what, these guys do have a plan and they are moving in the right direction. And now you're seeing the real tangible evidence of it at the major league level finally and even getting to the playoffs. Uh, so I think there has been a dramatic shift in the sentiment there and the engagement's been way up, way up, particularly over the last couple of weeks. Uh, I just know looking at my own Twitter feed and Facebook page, uh, it's up dramatically and people are very positive and very excited. And you hope to see that when opening day tickets go on sale for 2021 and you hope to see season ticket numbers go up a little bit. Uh, we'll see. It, they they hopefully will. These guys on the field deserve that with what they've yeah. done. It's also nice to see people finally have something to rejoice about with all that we've been through as a country. You're, I mean, as a world, uh, it's no different in the UK than it is in the United States. Uh, so it's nice for people to take their mind off things and feel a little bit normal for a few hours a night, getting to watch or listen to a ball game and root for the home team and, and enjoy what the Marlins have been doing. I think that's one thing you know, when we look back at it all or strip back what's going on, that's the one thing we should be thankful for, for these guys, you know, who have made that sacrifice to put a product on a field at a tough time for fans. When you strip it back, that's what's going on in many ways. So, you know, we should be thankful for the guys, the sacrifices. I've heard Corey Dickerson speak, you know, multiple times of how hard he's found it, you know, in isolation away from his family. And, you know, it's tough. It's got to be tough for the guys. So, you know, you got to tip your cap to these guys. For me, like, it's felt realistic. You know, the product on the field, it's been great. And, you know, okay, the no fans thing is difficult to get used to. But, you know, beyond that, I've, I think, you know, all teams have, have given a full shift and I think should be applauded for that. So, you know, that, that's been great. Just a final one, just to wrap up. New, in New York, um, normal situation, you'd have been with the team traveling to New York, right, in Yankee Stadium. Um, they'd have clinched on the Friday. It would have been, you know, incredible scenes, dancing, crying, you name it. Um, you'd have obviously finished up your broadcast. Would you have then, normal, in a normal world, piled into the locker room as well and been in with the guys in the mix? Was that the way things would have played out? Yeah, under normal circumstances, uh, we probably – would have had at least Kyle Seeloff in the clubhouse with a wireless microphone, and he would have been doing post-game interviews. Uh, here we had him doing them via Zoom, so we got the live post-game interviews on the air. Uh, I might have gotten down with him as well, and we would have had two people grabbing people at a time, and maybe Dave sitting in the moderator's chair up in the booth. Let's go back down to Glenn. He's standing by with Brian Anderson. Now Kyle yeah. Seeloff is there with uh, Miguel Rojas. Uh, so, yeah, and, and I've been through a lot of those, not here, but uh, in my time with the San Diego Padres and the Boston Red Sox, uh, have done a lot of those post-game celebrations and uh, lost a, a cell phone in one of them. And uh, it can be dangerous down there. Yeah. Uh, you got to wear goggles and you got to put your cell phone in a, a plastic bag or something because it's wet and it's messy, but it's a lot of fun. And it's a great reward uh, in a normal year, in any year, but, but in a normal year when you have the champagne celebrations and things like that, uh, it's a great reward for what guys go through over the long marathon to get to that point. Uh, and it's just a release and a chance to have some fun. So yeah. it was a little different. It looked different this year, but it was every bit as exciting. Yeah, it was. It, it looked great. The, the celebrations on the field were great. The team picture, the team photo of the guys um, all together in their jerseys, I guess their um, you know, playoff postseason jerseys. I think I saw a video as well where Donnie's like sliding into that as well. He must have been late, was probably on maybe doing an interview after the game. Mm -hmm. So everyone's lined up and Donnie slides in and, you know, 
just a great group, just having fun and, and enjoying it. So yep. awesome. They deserve it. They, they deserve absolutely it. do. No doubt on that one. Um, we go into this, the postseason now. It's a new format. So this is 2020 baseball, new format. We've got a three-game wildcard series. The Marlins are the sixth seed, the Cubs, the three seed. We go into Wrigley. Um, all the games we played at Wrigley um, against these, these Cubbies. Um, how do you like the, the matchup for the Marlins there with the Cubs? You know what? It's not going to be an easy matchup, so don't get me wrong when I say this, but I prefer this matchup as the sixth seed playing the Cubs as the three seed more than I would have liked going in as the five seed and having to go to San Diego and play the Padres. I think the Marlins match up better against the Cubs potentially. Cubs haven't scored a lot of runs this year. Uh, the Marlins can win games three to two and four to three. They're more likely to do that than to win a game 12 to 11. Uh, they have a tough time outslugging the Braves, a team like that. The Padres are a lineup like that that's tough to outslug. While the Cubs starting pitching especially is very good, their lineups had a down year. And they got a lot of big names who've had disappointing seasons. Now you get to the postseason, and what you did all season is irrelevant. You're zero for zero. It's a fresh start. And, and I'll say this. Uh, in the case of the Cubs especially, another reason why I like this matchup, all the pressure is on them. Yeah. The Marlins, no matter who they're playing, are playing with house money at this point. That's the way I feel, at least. They might not say that, but I feel like nobody expects you to be here. You're playing with house money. If you lose, everybody thought you were going to lose. If you win, nobody thought that could possibly happen. But when you look at the Cubs, you know they won that World Series in 2016. They ended the 108-year drought for them, and everybody thought they were going to be back in the World Series and winning World Series year after year after year. And while they've gotten back to the playoffs in 17 and 18, not last year, but again this year, they haven't gotten back to the World Series. And now you look at the core group of players in that roster, almost all of them are free agents either at the end of this year or at the end of next season. So the window is closing for the Cubs. There's a lot of pressure on them. Meanwhile, for the Marlins, the window is just beginning to open. The Marlins' future is in front of them. The Cubs' future is right now, today. Otherwise, time's really running out for them. So. Uh, I like this matchup. I like the fact that all the pressure is on the Cubs. They're expected to win. Nobody knows who the Marlins are. You can kind of sneak in and uh, stay under the radar. And if the Marlins play the way they're capable of, and particularly if they get the good starting pitching that we've seen a lot this year, I really like their chances. Yeah. Well, on the pitching, um, how do we see that shaping up? I think they've got a few ways. To, I'm really intrigued. I think what we know – I think it's been announced, but I'm not 100%. But I believe Sandy's going for game one. That's, that's kind of what we're hearing. Um, where, do we see them, where, where do we see them going in, in game two, perhaps? That's just a guess that I would make. Uh, but really, game one is where the tone is set. And if the Marlins can get a win in game one of that series with Sandy on the mound, presumably, uh, then they've got all the momentum. And uh, the, all the pressure, again, is even more intensified on the Cubs. So I, my guess is we'll see Sandy in game one tomorrow. Yeah. If, I mean, it'll probably depend on the result, I guess. But, you know, let's say the Marlins win that first game, Sandy on the mound. Do they just – do they go with Pablo to follow it up? Or do they kind of throw Sixto in there who's, I guess, is, you know, rest – related to, I guess, the last performance. It could perhaps be Sixto there, right? I'm going to guess Sixto in game two. Uh, and the, I don't really base it on anything other than this. Uh, if you get to a third game yeah. when it's do or die, all or nothing, maybe you'd rather have the more experienced pitcher Pablo Lopez in game 
series games and has a ton of experience, but he's got more experience than the guy who's made six starts in the big leagues and is only 22 years old. So I'm going to guess six. That's again, just a guess, but I'll go Sandy six. And if there's a game three, Pablo, if the Marlins are able to win the series in two, which would be great. Then you got Pablo lined up to pitch game one, potentially of the division series. Yeah. I think this makes a lot of sense. I, I spoke last night with, with the, I guess, my counterpart for the Cubs, so the UK Cubs guy, and we had, a, we, we had a conversation. I've got to be honest, I've not seen any of the Cubs this year, so you know everything's new to me for them. What I realized, though, is, is Carl Hendricks has been pitching really well for them, and what frightened me was that when I looked at his velocity – it right. was low, and that's been the Marlins' yeah. kryptonite this year, isn't it? I no, mean, you know, I was going to make that point. Hendricks is a tough matchup for the Marlins. He's a really good pitcher, a very good pitcher. Uh, we've seen the Marlins struggle with low-velocity lefties this year. Hendricks is basically a left-handed pitcher who throws with his right arm. He's one of those crafty lefties, except that he's right-handed, but he but he's a, he pitches like a crafty lefty. He's 87-88 with the fastball. He's a really good changeup, changes speeds, locates very well. He's the kind of pitcher who's given the Marlins fits this year. They do pretty well with velocity, but pitchers like Kyle Hendricks have been tough for this team. Now, they've, got, uh, they've seen him before in past years. A lot of these Marlins have a decent number of bats against him. They've got video on him. It's not like he's a guy they've never seen before. They've got time to prepare for him and put together a game plan. But uh, he is a tough matchup. And that's why I think this game one, if it is Hendricks against Alcantara, could be a three to two game or a four to three game. And we've talked about this a lot on the radio broadcasts. That's why so many of the things that we harp on little things during the season, they're walking too many guys. Uh, oh, they didn't turn that double play by a, a fraction of a step. They should have turned that double play. They didn't get that runner in from third base with less than two outs. Those little things in a short series, particularly when you're playing three to two or four to three games make such a difference. So it's going to be vital in this series for the Marlins to be fundamentally sound, good situational hitting, getting runners over, getting runners in. Don't give it bats away. Don't give outs away. you got to play airtight defense. When you have a chance to turn a double play, you've got to get the two outs, not just settle for the one out at second base. All those little things are going to be magnified in a short series, particularly when you expect to see a very few runs scored. Yeah, do you know what my, what I was going to ask you next was what are the keys to success for the Marlins? But I think you've answered it. I think that was the perfect That's answer. part of it. That's yeah. part of it. The other thing I'll say, though, is for me, it starts with the starting pitching. And if Alcantara, Sixto, and Pablo go out there and pitch the way we've seen them pitch when they've been on, they can beat anybody, and they will beat anybody. If they can give you six or seven really good innings, then I love our chances with – Boxberger and Yimi and Brandon Kinsler at the end of the game. You know, the Marlins are 28-0 this year when they've led after six innings. The back end of the bullpen has been lights out. This is one of the most deceptive numbers of the season for me. The Marlins bullpen ERA ranks 26th out of the 30 major league teams. So it's easy to look at that and say, boy, the Marlins bullpen has been terrible this year. Actually, the guys who pitch when games are on the line, late in games protecting leads, have been really, really good. Boxberger, Garcia, Kinsler, if you even pull back a little bit and include James Hoyt in that mix, if you include Richard Blyer in that mix, those five pitchers have a 2-0-0 ERA. 2-0-0, which is staggering. Everybody else who's thrown a pitch out of the bullpen for the Marlins this year has an ERA up over seven, which is why the season ERA is up over five. But when the game is tight and on the line and the Marlins have a lead, they've been lights out in the bullpen. So that's why, for me, it's about the starting pitchers. Can you get – 
six or seven innings of one or two run ball three nights in a row or, or two nights in a row. If you can do that, I'll take my chances for the back end of the bullpen. Absolutely. Well, well summarized, Jeff. That is perfect summary. I mean, that, that's the battle plan. Right? That's the blueprint. Get these, get these starters six or seven, um, one or two inning ball, hand it over to, you know, those back end guys have been awesome all year. I mean, give them a lead and, and they'll seal it. I was going to ask you as well, you know, Brandon Kinsler just has been incredible for me when, you know, in some huge, huge spots. Kintz for me has really, really stood up the last, last kind of week and a half, two weeks of the season. He was just awesome. What's your thoughts on Kintz? Well, and that's where having an experienced closer comes in handy. You can have a young closer with a big arm and great stuff. And, you know, if you play a normal 162-game season, every team can find a guy who can go out and save 30 games for you because there are enough five to two leads where all you got to do is get the final three outs. And anybody can save out, save most of those games, close most of those games out. But where experience comes in is when you get to – late in the season, meaningful games, and the bases are loaded with one out or second and third with nobody out, and you've got to find a way to get out of this inning. And to listen to Kinsler talk after some of these saves where he knows exactly what the plan is, and he says, you guys were upset that I walked Clint Frazier. I wanted to walk Clint Frazier because I knew I was going to get LeMahieu to hit into a double play. This is the leading hitter in Major League Baseball, but he knew with his experience and his history against LeMahieu, he was going to hit a ground ball up the middle to second base or shortstop, and that was exactly what he needed to get out of the game. So that's where this experience comes in handy. It's great to have a guy throwing 100 and striking everybody out, but having an experienced closer, particularly when you're going to rely so heavily on him day in and day out this time of year, it's huge. And Kinsler has been a huge part of this team's success. I, I love that, too. I'm, I'm glad you reminded me of that interview because it was awesome to listen to Kins like – What's going through his head? Like he talked us through exactly yep. what he was thinking, almost pitch by pitch for like three batters in a row. And it was, I mean, I've never played the game and I've never been in logger rooms, but to hear that was so insightful. And the first thing I'd say is it's great to know he's got a plan, right? And he's an experienced right. guy and he's got a plan. He, he knows the, exactly what he's doing. He knows he did exactly. the same thing. He came out with us post game after he saved that game against the Nationals a couple of weekends ago when they were second and third with nobody out, and he got out of that inning with a one-run lead. And, again, he went batter by batter, pitch by pitch. He knew how he was going to get out of the inning. He had a plan. doesn't always mean the plan works 100% of the time, but he had a plan, and he executed it. And it's really cool to watch a veteran guy go. All right, great. So the main question now, Geff, how far can these Marlins go? How far can they go? Can they get through the Cubs? And how far can they go beyond that? I'm not a big prediction guy. I just think in my role calling the games, it might not be the most appropriate thing to do. I will say this. They can beat the Cubs. There's no question. As I said, if they get good starting pitching, they can beat the Cubs. Uh, Now, then you look down the road. Okay, you get the winner of the Braves-Red series if you win this series. Uh, We know the Braves intimately. And, And while the Braves at times had their way with the Marlins this year, they only went six and four against Miami. Uh, it's not like, you know, it was nine and one or, or 10 and oh. Uh, it's a team that you know very well. It's a team that has rotation issues without question. And as good as their lineup is, you know, the Marlins have hung with the Braves this year, even though they lost six of the 10. That's somewhat respectable going four and six against them. Uh, 
So, you know, we haven't seen the Reds. The Reds have tremendous starting pitching. Uh, that would be an intriguing matchup. So, yeah, I, I think they can get by the Cubs. I think there's a shot they can get past the next round. And then you don't want to go too far down the road. You don't know who's waiting around the corner. Uh, you know, the, the seating, say, would be the Dodgers at that point. And I'm not sure anybody's beating the Dodgers this year. But uh, you know what? If the Marlins get that far, maybe they've got uh, karma on their side or something. And, and you never know. This is a franchise that's never lost a postseason series. So they have the history going for them in that regard. We, we should be mindful of that. You know, we, we absolutely should not forget that fact. If we don't get there, it will be one of the most disappointing stats we'll need to lose, you know, um, because it's always great to remind everyone that the Marlins have never lost a postseason series. Um, so. Well, I, I think when, when you get there year after year after year, which is the hope in the years ahead, eventually, you know, you're going to lose some. So, you know, to be perfect in two postseasons, I'd rather be imperfect in eight postseasons than perfect in two. So, uh, you know, if it happens one of these days, it happens. It's just great to be back in the postseason. That's the bottom line. And whatever happens in this series against the Cubs moving forward, to me, it cannot in any way detract from what this team has accomplished this year. And again, it's so critical that I think people remember this is just the beginning. The window, as I said earlier, is just opening for this team. It's not like this is their last chance. You got to win in 2020 or you're never going to know their shot. This is just the beginning. And because nobody even expected it's been a great year, and the future looks great. Should be really exciting. Let's enjoy the ride while it lasts here and see how far it takes us. Absolutely. I'm going to enjoy it. No doubt about that. Um, but, you know, what do we – just imagine, though, will, will everyone lose their minds if, if the Brewers go and knock off the Dodgers in, uh, in, you know, in their first series? Will everyone just lose their minds and say this season, it, it, you know, it, it, it should never have happened and this, this is a flawed concept? <laughs> You talk about a team that has pressure on it. Like I mentioned, the Cubs have a lot of pressure on them. The Dodgers in the playoffs for the eighth year in a row, and they haven't won a World Series in a long, long time. Uh, and they are universally, I think, regarded as the best team in baseball, playing a team that backed into the playoffs, the Brewers, below 500, uh, didn't even win on the final day, didn't earn their way in by winning. They earned their way in by having the Phillies just lose game after game, and the Giants lost in the end too. Uh, there's a lot of pressure on the Dodgers. Still, they're really good, and I think the talent overcomes the pressure. Yeah. Yeah, just, just to kind of wrap up on a, on a couple of guys, the, the Phillies, you mentioned them uh, just then. Weird. It was a weird end of the season for the Phillies, like really disappointing. I mean, for me, it felt like if the Phillies could, could string it together a little bit and get in, they'd be dangerous too. I was, I was shocked that they – I think they maybe lost their last four games in a row. Um, you know, to, to close out their year. You know, what, what's the view on the Phillies? Because they've got some decisions to make this uh, offseason, no doubt. This is a big offseason for them. They've spent $700 million on free agents, players acquired middle of trades over the course of the last three years. $700 million to bring in Bryce Harper and JT Romuto and a bunch of all-stars all around the diamond. Uh, and they still haven't won. They still haven't gotten to the playoffs with this group of guys. Uh, their general manager's contract is up. There's a lot of talk that he's going to be replaced. They got real mutual heading into free agency. Bryce Harper says, Hey, we have to keep him. There are going to be a lot of other suitors for him. That's a team that's got a lot of questions and may need to take a step back a little bit and say, look, our bullpen needs to be completely rebuilt. Our rotation hasn't been good enough. And as many all-stars were running out there among position players, we're still not winning games. So that's a team with a lot of questions. You know, you look at the National League East, the Nationals have a lot of questions all of a sudden as Max Scherzer is getting older 
And another year where Steven Strasburg's had a hard time staying healthy. So their offense isn't what it once was. And Victor Robles hasn't emerged as the star that they thought he was going to be. With the Mets up and down and struggling and guys getting hurt and unable to stay on the field. Uh, I like the Marlins' future in the short term and the long term right now more than several other teams in this division. The Braves are really good. They're, they're loaded. They're young. Tremendous talent. They could go out and bolster their rotation this year and be a real juggernaut potentially. But if you look at rosters today and you look at where salaries are, contracts are, payroll flexibility, who's going to be a free agent, things like that, who's getting older, who's still young, i take the Marlins in the next few years over the Nationals, the Phillies, and the Mets right now. Now, that could change anytime. Mets have a new owner coming in who's going to spend a lot of money, it looks like. We know spending money doesn't always guarantee anything. Be right there with the Braves as a preeminent team in this division for the next several years. It's going to be a fun one, no doubt about that. The the rivalry with the Braves for me is it, it sets up to be just incredible viewing for years to come because the Braves are young, the Marlins are young. It's going to be it's going to be a lot of fun, no doubt on that one. Um, right, Geff, I think we're just about out of time. One final question for you though, and I, it's not a prediction one. Don't worry, I won't I won't put you on the spot. Because I know you're not a prediction guy, but one final question: Give me, uh, if you can, perhaps your favorite call you've made this year. <laughs> oh, that's an easy one. <laughs> that's an easy one. Darling Marte's opposite field home run, Oppo with the Boppo. Oh, uh, that, that's that's an easy one. Didn't even have to think about that. I thought you were going to challenge me. <laughs> had to ask it. What a what a great moment. What a lot of fun. Uh, that was uh, the great Marlins fans in the UK. Uh, Oppo with the Boppo, Starling Marte. Hopefully we can see. Right. Geff, that was a lot of fun. Great to have you back. I really appreciate you. Anytime. Time. Anytime, Peter. Keep up the great work. Let's uh, win some games here and uh, do it again to wrap the season up at some point. Hopefully about a month from now. Absolutely. After the World Series parade. Absolutely. That, that, would, right? be, that would be a dream. Appreciate it, Geff. Go well. Go well the next few days. Enjoy yourself. That's, that's episode 69 in the books and we will be back very, very soon. We hope to catch Geff when we're celebrating our postseason victory and then a World Series for this year's Miami Marlins. Until then, enjoy and we'll be back soon. Thanks, guys. <laughs>